The city of New York in the mid-1850s had a huge problem. Among other things, there was the problem of homelessness. Kids without parents, runaways living on the streets of New York. Vagrancy was quite a problem, so the way the city addressed this was to, for the greater crimes, put these kids into jail, adult prisons. But for the crimes and delinquencies that weren't quite as great, the city came up with this idea of having a place of safety, and it was called the refuge. These kids would be sent there, and adults would be in charge of it. It was, it was designed to help educate, to care, and even to reform these individuals who didn't have parents in any direction. The word shelter means or word refuge means shelter, a place of safety, a place of protection, sanctuary. We use the word asylum often in a negative context, but it is actually a place where one can find peace. Well, that was the design of these places. But unfortunately, the safe place became a cruel place and corruption often won the day. In that very popular uh, 1992 movie by Disney, a musical called Newsies. It's been on Broadway. Uh, it was a great hit and very popular. Uh, they have in that movie a place called The Refuge. It is run by a sketchy character named Warden Snyder. And the warden himself is a corrupt man who's purpose is to embezzle the money that the city gives to him to care for the kids. And so the living conditions are deplorable. Rats living in there. It's like a cell with bars and guards. And if once you're put in, there's little hope of getting out. Because you mean money to the corrupt warden who wants to take it for himself. And the place designed to be a safe place became a cruel place for so many kids. We think of the word refugee. It comes from this idea of refuge. And a refugee, even in our own time, is a person who's running away from danger, usually in their own country due to war, maybe famine, natural disasters, persecution, and they run for the place of safety. Our own team just came back from the Greek island, Lesbos, where there is a camp for refugees who are fleeing from Syria and Afghanistan and Nepal, and they work their way through Turkey and come to the first European soil they can find, which is this Greek island, designed, the camp designed to hold maybe, I don't know, 2,500 2, people, and our own team said there's over 18,000 refugees on the island and the answer there is no human answer and the place that is so supposed to be a safe place becomes a cruel place and a place of crime and hopelessness what is interesting is that when you go throughout the scripture you will find that refuge is one of God's favorite words Oh, there's a Hebrew and Greek word behind it, but translated into the English, it means a place of safety. For instance, in Psalm 46 and verse 1, 
Our God is our refuge and strength. He is a ever-present help. I like that word. It's like right now, at this very moment, God is our help. It's not that he was. It's not even that he's going to be. He is our help and place of safety right now. Psalm 46 is interesting because in the middle of that psalm, it says that the Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. And that's the chorus of the song, which is repeated in the very last verse. So Psalm 46 starts out with this theme and ends with the theme. And in the middle is that famous verse that says, Be still and know that I am God. What do you need to know about God? He is, he is our refuge. Now, if you don't feel any danger today, you don't need a place of safety. But if you have an abusive spouse, you may be looking for a place to run. America's been so comfortable that we are, uh, the idea of danger is often foreign to us. And yet we're finding it more and more throughout our land. Or how about this psalm, Psalm 92, verse 1. I will say of the Lord, he is my refuge and fortress. Now, a fortress is often thought of in military terms. It's a place of defense, but it's also a place of protection. And sometimes there's a refuge within the fortress that is the most secure place in all the city. And God is both our place of defense, and our place of refuge. But he's not a place. He's a person. And we are to flee to him to find safety and help. And all of that leads us to the book of Joshua, chapter 20. Let me encourage you to turn there. Joshua, chapter 20. We have been looking at uh, the book of Joshua from many different angles, walking our way through its chapters. And, and in chapters 13 through 19, basically after the people of God have won the battles, remember first of all there was a central campaign. They came in from the east and went in to the middle and won Jericho and Ai and then they went down to the south and then they went up to the north and conquered all these cities and then when you get to chapters 20 and 21, now it's time to give the Levites their cities. And if you read in the Old Testament, it mentions clearly, and I think it does also in the book of Joshua, that the Levites are getting 48 cities. Now, they were not giving any land, the Lord's their inheritance, but they're given a city, and around the city, they're given a little bit of land for their own animals. I mean, they've got to get away from work as well. And if they're in the city and doing all the things that a, a priest, a Levite, would do, they need to get out of the city, they need to take care of themselves, and so the Lord provided 48 cities in the whole land for them. But out of the 48 cities, there were six cities of refuge. So that's the first thing I want us to note, and that's the theme of chapter 20, these six cities of refuge. It's a short portion of scripture. Let's begin reading with verse 1. The Lord said to Joshua, tell the Israelites to designate the cities of refuge as I instructed you through Moses. And you can go back to the book of Exodus 21, 
Deuteronomy chapter 4 and 19, the book of Numbers chapter 35, long before they got to the land, these cities of refuge were in the mind and heart of God. And the purpose, verse 3, so that if anyone kills a person accidentally, unintentionally, they may flee there and find protection from the avenger of blood. The avenger of blood is a family member who is going for revenge or justice. Uh, there weren't enough police around, and so it was lawful if someone murdered your relative, it's your, your responsibility to go after the murderer. But you can see how this type of mob justice could really get out of hand. And of all the cities in the Near East, it appears that only Israel, coming out of the wonderful heart of God, provided cities of refuge in case you killed someone unintentionally. The process, verse 4, uh, when they flee to one of these cities, they are to stand at the entrance of the city gate. Remember all of the commercial dealings of a city, uh, all the community decisions were made at the gate. That's where the elders sat. That was city council. So they would stand before the city gate, the elders, and then the elders were to admit the fugitive into their city and provide a place to live among them. If the avenger of blood comes in pursuit... The elders must not surrender the fugitive because the fugitive killed their neighbor unintentionally and without malice or a forethought. By the way, the Hebrew word for manslayer and murderer are identical. The only difference is the motive. Was it intentional or was it accidental? And here it even says that someone might be coming after you if you killed your neighbor unintentionally. And in the Old Testament book of Numbers, chapter 35, there are even some examples of what's intentional and what is unintentional. Verse 6, they are to stay in that city, the fugitive, until they have stood trial before the assembly. Now this is a little bit murky, but it's very possible that the assembly would uh, meet the, all the people with the elders one Bible scholar says they actually go back to the city where the murder occurred so that the assembly is made up of the people in that city along with the elders from the city of refuge. But there is a trial before the assembly. That's one thing that has to happen. And secondly, the person who goes to a city of refuge, get this, has to stay there until the high priest dies. The one who is serving at that time. Then after that, the assembly and the death of the high priest, they may go back to their own hometown in which they fled. So these cities were provisional safety places. There still had to be a trial and they still had to await the death of the high priest before they could go back to their homeland. Unfortunate, yes. Uh, kind of a prisoner of circumstances, perhaps. But you'll find out something both in Israel's land in that day and in our world today that justice, no matter how well intended, is not always justice. Sometimes the guilty get off and the innocent are punished, right? We've got, I think, one of the best systems in the world, but that doesn't mean there isn't corruption in its places. 
And sometimes the verdict is wrong. Which leads us simply to long for the land when the true king of righteousness rules perfectly and there will never be a bad case again. But here's the provision. There's safety in the land. Now notice the picture here. uh, A map of Israel. And you can also notice on this map the colors that show the division of the land for the tribes. I want you to point out the lower left, as you look at the picture, is Simeon in the very bottom. But he has no color because he's in the color, the yellow of the land of Judah. Very interesting that Simeon's tribe only got a little bit of land within the confines of Judah. I think that goes all the way back to the book of Genesis when Levi and Simeon did a very cruel thing. Their sister had been violated. Instead of waiting for justice, they went after the Shechemites and killed them. And Jacob put a curse on his two sons, Simeon and Levi. The tribe of Simeon ends up dispersing into nowhere land. And you hear very little about Simeon. The tribe of Levi reverses the curse when in the book of Exodus, they stand with Moses in cleansing the people of God for the golden calf incident. And then the Levites become the priests and they're honored in the land. But you see there's uh, Hebron. Notice the stars. Those are the cities of refuge. There are six of them. Three on the west side of the Jordan and three on the east side of the Jordan. No two are in the same territory. So Hebron is in the land of Judah. Shechem in the land of Manasseh. And Kedesh in the land of Naphtali or Naphtali in the upper Galilee. On the east side, you've got Golan, which is a city in Bashan, part of the tribe of Manasseh. Bashan is now today called the Golan Heights on the east side of the Sea of Galilee. And then Ramoth-Gilead is in Gad, just the very upper tip of Gad, and then Bezer is in, uh, in the tribe of Reuben. It's interesting that these tribes, uh, again, no two cities in any one tribe, but the cities were divided in such a way that anyone could get to a city in a day. It was the mercy of God that they were laid out in such a way that they could find this place of safety. The Hebrew word for refuge is a technical term used 20 times in the Old Testament only only for these six cities. So you could talk about safety and you could talk about a fortress, but you couldn't talk about refuge without this concept that God designed, which, by the way, shows the justice of God and the mercy of God. Now, you're well taught in the Scriptures. If I were to ask you, is God just or is God merciful, you would say yes, right? There's a lot of people in our world who don't believe that. You either have to be just or you have to be merciful. You can't do both. Well, you can in an infinite perfect God who is the one who is willing to pay justice its due by the sacrifice of his son. So here's this wonderful plan laid out by Almighty God, the God of mercy and the God of justice. 
By the way, I've designed a chart. Maybe some of you saw that out in the Welcome Center. Just a small half sheet that divides up the book of Joshua and kind of gives you its major themes and uh, talks about chapter 20 being the cities of refuge, which we are talking about today. So a place of asylum, a place of safety, only temporary. You still have to have trial, and you still have to wait for the death of the high priest. The Bible tells us here, and these cities, as, uh, as we pointed them out, are in verse 7 and 8, and then a summary in verse 9. Any of the Israelites or any foreigner residing among them who killed someone accidentally could flee to these designated cities as well. So it's not just for the Hebrew, it's for the Gizur, the foreigner, the one who came from a different land and joined the people of God. Do you know of any of those? Rahab, right, was one. The Gibeonites. And there were others not named in Scripture living with the people of God. They too could flee to these designated cities and not be killed by the avenger of blood. One of the interesting things I want to point out to you is this death of the high priest. Now, when is that going to happen? I suppose if I had to flee to one of these cities because I accidentally took a life, one of the first things I'd want to know is, how old is that high priest? Is it going to be like a chief justice in America that just lives on and on and on? And I'm not saying they shouldn't. I'm just thinking selfishly, I might be here a while. But that was part of the requirement. Why? Because shedding blood is a serious thing, even when it happens accidentally. It's such a serious thing that God requires execution for the murderer. Does he not? Because in the image of God, all people are made, and to shed blood means that your blood should be shed. That's in the book of Genesis. That's the book in uh, in the book of Exodus, it's a serious thing to pollute the land, Numbers 35 tells us, with innocent blood. And so the penalty for taking human life is execution. Accidentally taking human life is still the manslayer. Manslaughter, as we call it today, still has to go to a place of safety because it's a serious thing. And the blood must be atoned for. By the murderer, it's his own blood. By the manslayer, it's the blood of the high priest. Ken Matthews, an Old Testament scholar, says the high priest's death is a symbolic sign indicating that atonement for the killing is needed to reconcile even the accidental killer to God into the community. His name needs to be cleared. Gordon Wenham, another Old Testament scholar, said both incur blood guilt, that is the manslayer and the murderer, both incur blood guilt and pollute the land, and both require atonement. And the Talmudic literature, the Jewish literature, says that the only way that the manslayer then can be freed is when the high priest dies. His natural demise is the atonement. 
Now, that doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me. I'll just be honest with you. But I think it's more than what it appears. The more I study the Old Testament, I come up with some things that are really hard to understand until I'm able to grasp the concept a little bit better if it is fleshed out in the New Testament. And as you and I have been going through the book of Joshua, one thing we have learned is that so much that happens in Joshua is a type of New Testament truth. It's like a Christian battling in spiritual warfare. It's like entering into all the promises and blessings that God has for us, possessing our possessions and driving out the enemy, the sin within, the sin that so easily besets us, the weights that hold us back from running our race, getting rid of those things so that we might be truly devoted to Jesus. So the Old Testament cities of refuge have a counterpart, and let me recommend this to you. It is the New Testament redemption that is found in our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, to jump from type to truth, you've got to be careful. You've got to have some reason for doing it. So here's my justification. It is the book of Hebrews chapter 6, and I have one of the verses here for you. It's Hebrews 6, 18, but let me give you a little more context. And we, let, we looked just a couple weeks ago at the book of Hebrews that also took the story of Joshua and talked about rest. It talked about conquering the enemy and driving out the, the people of the land and then resting in the land that got Joshua's name is mentioned in the book of Hebrews. So there's a connection with what's going on and I think the same thing is happening here in Hebrews chapter 6. As was read earlier, as Kim did a wonderful job reading the scripture to us, this is verse 13. When God made his promise to Abraham, since there was no one greater for him to swear by, he swore by himself. Think about that. God always speaks the truth, but just to double down on it, he says, I'll take an oath. And he swears by his own name because there's nothing higher to take an oath on. And so after waiting patiently, Abraham received what was promised. God said, surely I will bless you. That's Genesis 12, repeated in Genesis 22, the blessing of Abraham. Part of it was the land that Joshua's taking over. People swear by someone greater than themselves. An oath confirms that what is said should put an end to all arguments. Oh, I wish it were that way today. My word is my bond. But you swear by someone higher than you. God is the highest, so he takes an oath in his own name. God, verse 17, wanting to show the unchanging or immutable purpose, his, his unchanging nature of purpose, very clear to what he promised. He confirmed it by an oath. And now we get to verse 18. God did this so that by two unchangeable, King James uses the word immutable, Two unchangeable things in which, number one, it is impossible for God to lie, and number two, he's taken an oath. We who have fled for refuge to take hold on the hope set before us, comma, may be greatly encouraged. Now that, my friend, is the language of Joshua 20. 
When the Old Testament was translated into the Greek by 70 scholars in the city of Alexandria in Egypt, they went from Hebrew to Greek. The Greek words they use for the city of refuge and fleeing to the city are the same Greek words that are used in Hebrews 6. The Old Testament type is found as a New Testament truth. So we have this anchor for our soul. We ought to be greatly encouraged because if we fled to Jesus, God has promised on oath to forgive our sins and give us an eternal place of safety. How cool is that? And added to that, this anchor for the soul is based on the fact that Jesus entered the inner sanctuary behind the curtain, our forerunner, Christ, and he is our high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. So in the New Testament, I have this wonderful verse in Hebrews chapter 6 which gives me the, I think, same language, gives me the authority to connect the two together. And it's a popular understanding and interpretation by some of the greatest scholars. I just read from you George uh, Wellam from the Old Testament. And now when he's making reference to this application in the New Testament... He simply tells us that the high priest of ancient Israel anticipated the ministry of our Lord Jesus Christ. Not only in his life of offering uh, prayers and intercession, but also offering himself as a sacrifice in his death. Listen to Hebrews 2.17. For this reason, we have been made li- Jesus has been made like us, fully human in every way, in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest. One of the greatest themes in the Old Testament. And remember, these are Jews who came to Christ and now because of persecution are thinking of going back to Judaism and the writer of Hebrews said that'd be a very foolish thing to do because we have a high priest, unlike the Old Covenant, who will never die. It's God himself. The Old Testament priests had to offer sacrifice for their own sin. Not Jesus, he's never sinned. He became the sacrifice. And in this way, he is a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God so that he might make atonement for the sins of the people. Oh, wait a minute now. This is making sense. I flee to the place of refuge because I'm in trouble. And it's the death of the high priest that allows me to go free. There are other parallels that are hard to make between the story and the truth. But the death of the high priest in the new covenant is the atoning sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross for our sins. And there's no going free until you embrace by faith the death of the Lord Jesus Christ. Warren Worsby goes on to say, Jesus is our city of refuge. This verse in Hebrews 6.18 suggests the Old Testament cities of refuge and pictures beautifully for us of this idea of danger and impending death, of fleeing to a place of safety that God's mercy has provided and staying there until 
the death of our high priest atones for us. The court case has already been taken care of. Jesus died for sinners and the Father has said, well done. I accept your sacrifice. And it's only now on our part to flee from the wrath to come. Isn't it interesting how people respond to danger? I think of the warnings, if I were living in Florida, the warnings of a hurricane coming. It's going to be a bad one. Everyone's got to evacuate, and you do, and nothing happens. So the next time, there's a warning. It's going to be a bad one. Everyone's got to evacuate. And you begin to distrust the weather people, especially the groundhogs. <laughs> and so when the real time comes, hey, we mean it this time. <laughs> this is really going to be a bad one. And people say, nah, I'm staying. And they're in trouble. Religion has got a bad name for saying things that don't happen. Religion has got a bad name for causing people to do things that aren't rational, aren't biblical, and bind the conscience and life of a person to the control of those in that religion. And so if you say to the modern American today, you need to flee from the wrath to come, they think of that guy walking down Main Street with a sandwich sign on front and back, you know, judgment is coming, repent, and we laugh. But it's true. Let me just tell you, it's true. Judgment is coming because our God is just. How do I know? Acts 17 says, proof of the day of judgment coming is that God raised his son from the dead. How is the resurrection proof? Jesus punished, uh, the Father punished Jesus for our sins. He was abandoned by God. Why have you forsaken me? Placed in a grave and then raised from the dead. And if the father had to punish his son for sin, do you think you're going to get off? Well, the resurrection proves that God is serious about a coming day of judgment. Flee. Flee. From the wrath to come. Where do I go? To the city of refuge whose name is is Jesus. He's taken the justice for you on the cross and he's providing mercy for you because of the love of God. I love that hymn that says there's a wideness in God's mercy like the wideness of the sea. There's a kindness in his justice that is more than liberty. There is plentiful redemption through the blood that Jesus shed. There is joy for all believers in the sorrows of his head. For the love of God is broader than the measure of our mind, and the heart of the eternal is most wonderfully kind. Oh, the strange ways of God are judgment, but he will judge this world. The natural ways of God are mercy and blessing. And he's provided for you a place of safety. And that place is a person. 
and his name is Jesus. Flee by faith to Jesus. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, there is no place for us to turn to avoid the just punishment of our sin except to the one who's endured the punishment for us. There is no other name given among men under heaven whereby we must be saved except the name of Jesus. He is the way, the truth, and the life, and no one gets to the Holy Father except via the Son, except through Jesus Christ. So, Lord, thank you for your wide mercy that covers every race and every nation, your wide mercy that covers every era, every epoch, every generation, every time. But that mercy has its limits, and the place of safety is found in Christ alone. Lord, maybe someone here will say, I'm not so sure I'm safe. We're not talking now about killing someone intentionally or accidentally. We're talking about the sin that we have committed against God and the fact that the wages of sin are death. And once you see that the death sentence is over you, you need to flee. You need to run until you are found in Christ. This is what you need to do. Call upon Christ. Lord, I'm a sinner. I know that the wages of sin is death, but Lord, save me in Jesus' name. And when you pray a prayer like that, indeed, all heaven resounds with the amen. Hear our prayers. You know our hearts. Save us now in Jesus' name. Amen.